Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Midweek edition of the Van Castor Answer, and this was supposed to be the big day. This was supposed to be the day that we were back at the rink. We were going to be welcomed to Rogers Arena as the media. The Canucks were going to practice, but no. Uh, time marches on towards Friday night and the restart, and yet we learned late on Tuesday afternoon that uh, more limited on-ice practice, some off-ice workouts, but this group is clearly not ready to get back to practice yet ahead of games scheduled for both Friday and Saturday night. Yeah, well, and it's going to be touch and go here as the Canucks look to get players off of the protocol list and sort of move forward, right? Like rebuild their roster effectively. Um, you know, the, the, thing, the thing about the list is that it's a snapshot, first of all, right? Like it's a snapshot that the NHL pr- publishes roughly five, between 5 and 5.30 p.m. Eastern time, Every, um, you know, every day, but it's a snapshot and it doesn't necessarily reflect like the most up to date understanding of like local health authorities. Right. So a player that occurs that appears on the COVID protocol list from the NHL's publishing um, could be off of it by an hour later, local time. You know what I'm saying? And practically off of it in terms of what they're permitted to do in terms of activities in and around the community and, and what have you. Uh, or at Rogers Arena, which is now open, thankfully. So, you know, just just bear that in mind. Like, I don't expect the protocol to pose the types of roster construction issues that, you know, some of the unlucky among the Canucks who tested positive and were symptomatic to some extent, um, you know, how they feel ahead of Friday's game will. Like, that. that's going to be the bigger issue, I, I, for me anyway, is not can the Canucks get to 22 bodies off of the protocol at the right positions, it's going to be, can all the guys off the protocol, like, do they feel well enough to participate in NHL competition? That's going to be the big question as we go forward to Saturday and Sunday uh, and a pair of really tough games against the Edmonton Oilers and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Well, and beyond that, if you look at the start times, like just getting up and running for the Vancouver Canucks is going to be a challenge here. But they play, Friday's game is scheduled at 6 o'clock here in Vancouver. And we've talked about this at length. Saturday is 4 o'clock Pacific against the Leafs. So, like, not even 24 hours between face-offs. Like, it, it just seems yeah, that's like... that's not getting ev- enough play. 
But yet every, well, forget, no, I mean, normally the four o'clock start would be the start, right? Everybody get, but, but I, for me, it's now this turnaround. Like it just feels like at every turn, the Canucks are up against it. And at every turn, it's just another slap in the face. And this idea of playing six o'clock against the Oilers and trying to get through your first game in more than three weeks and, oh yeah, be back here and ready to go at four tomorrow afternoon. Like what this group is going to look and feel like by the end of the Saturday game against the Leafs. So your guess is as good as mine. Uh, forget about how the roster is composed of the lineup and all that kind of, it's just like, as you said, you know, we can see names on a piece of paper as far as whether guys are in protocol or not. It's how do they get up to NHL speed and play games after th- it's been three today, it's been three weeks today since the Canucks last played a game. That game at home against Winnipeg. Then they had the week off. Then COVID hit. It's been two weeks today since they've been on the ice together as a group. That ill-fated morning skate that we've talked an awful lot about against uh, ahead of the the postponed game against the Calgary Flames. So you're trying to rally the troops take roll call, figure out who's available on the NHL roster, who from the taxi squad may be forced into action, and now you got to do it at 6 o'clock Friday and again at 4 on Saturday afternoon. Yikes, right? And, you know, again, (laughs) we're now 10 days out from when the NHL added the group of seven, the the biggest group that got added to the COVID protocol list, right? And that was Boyd, Horvat, Howerluck, Mott, Brandon Sutter, Tyler Myers, Thatcher Demko, right? Like that was the big group. We're now at 10 days. So those guys can come off COVID protocol lists, but until they pass tests, they can't get back on the ice, right? And and my understanding is that those tests will occur this evening or, or this afternoon, depending on, on who it is. And that includes things like an ectocardiogram, right? Like that includes a heart test. That includes, you know, a variety of difficult things. Um, I think some of the guys that were added, like some of the later positives, um, or sorry, sorry, some of the earlier positives will do some of their testing today too. Uh, that earlier group, some of whom are already off now, but that includes like Holtby, Hamannick, Edler, Quinn Hughes, Zach McEwen, and Antoine Roussel, most of whom still appear on the COVID protocol list at the time of our recording, but who, you know, I think I think some names from within those groups are effectively out of protocol in terms of being able to like go for a walk outside, but are not necessarily cleared to return to the ice. I think that's a big part of what delayed the club um, practicing on Wednesday, right? Like they just needed some more time. And while a lot of those guys are cleared in terms of being off of protocol, I don't believe that they're cleared in terms of being able to participate in on-ice activities yet. So that that critical mass comes this evening, and, and hopefully the Canucks will be able to ice a, a lineup with 12 forwards, six defensemen, and two goaltenders. But again, I, I don't think that it's the protocols or the timelines that are going to impact the club's ability to ice a full roster. I think it's going to be that some guys are not, not up to it based on the symptoms that they dealt with, right? And, uh, well, you know, I think that's an important thing to note, like... Anyone who's been debating or minimizing symptoms is just talking to one of the guys who's been fortunate here because among this group of players, there are, you know, a, a relatively short list of guys, but nonetheless, a list of guys who've really had a tough couple of weeks. Well, and a couple of things. I, I see the Canucks as we record this uh, are going to make JT Miller available on Wednesday afternoon. Now we know that JT Miller is a teller of truths. And so uh, I'm really curious to hear you know, just his thoughts on this return to play and the ridiculous schedule. Uh, because to this point, we heard from Tanner Pearson uh, on Monday uh, and then heard from Jim Benning after the trade deadline. 
On Tuesday, it was the two new guys. It was Highmore and it was Bowie that were made available. Uh, but we really haven't heard from anybody that, because Tanner Pearson's still injured, he's not likely to be ready to go uh, when they get back to action here. So JT Miller is going to be the first guy you know, from the group that is going to be affected by this schedule starting on Friday. So I'm really curious to hear, uh, because as we've learned from JT Miller, uh, doesn't give a lot of fucks. There's not a whole lot of sugar coating, right? Like, <laughs> well, sorry, he gives us a lot of fucks on the ice, but he doesn't <laughs> yes. give a lot of fucks in interviews yes. with the media. It's beautiful. To be clear. The other thing in all of this is, like, you know, we focus on these guys as hockey players and can they assemble a roster for Friday night? I, I don't know what you've heard, but my understanding is that there are some wives and significant others that have really been hit hard by this. Yep. And, you know, these guys are elite level athletes. I, I I don't know many of their wives and who knows how it's impacted each and every one of them. But I, my understanding is that a few family members have really been hit hard. So just put yourself in that headspace. Like, yeah, hockey player, great. You get to go and do what you do. But uh, all of a sudden, like, you know, where's your focus? Where's your head? If you're trying to focus and concentrate on what you do, knowing full well that as you leave home to go to the rink, you're leaving behind a wife or a girlfriend or a kid who is really, really serious and significantly affected by this. Like, that's going to take a toll as well. No kidding. And and that's a huge part of the story too, right? Whether you were one of the lucky ones who was relatively asymptomatic, whether you were one of the really unlucky ones who 10 days after testing positive is still struggling to walk up the stairs or stand for prolonged periods of time without getting winded. And I mean, there are both cases within this group of people, just as there are, you know, if you, if you have 25 people get COVID, you're going to have a vast range of symptomatic experience, right? Like that's what we know. And that was what was so frustrating to me, J-Pat, as this went along. And like, I still see it fans being like, oh, you know, the media was rushing to tell stories about the symptoms and they were, it was a blow by blow and they were making too big a deal out of it. And it's just like, no, no, no. Like once, once this all comes out, you're going to realize how insane that talking point is. It's just that this is a big group of people and some of them had relatively easy times and some of them didn't like that's, that's it. And, and the idea that we've been rushing to do a blow by blow or going first or what have you, it's like, man, we know an awful lot that we're not putting into this podcast, for example, because of um, a respect for medical privacy, right? Like it, <laughs> it's ludicrous to think that there's been a rush to to be first on some of these things. Like just does not hold up under scrutiny, really has frustrated me. But yeah, I mean, the other part of this and a really important part is whether you were asymptomatic or not, when you test positive for COVID, you and all the people around you have this anxiety that like you're on the tracks and you're going to get hit by a train at some point and it's just about bracing to see how hard you get hit you know and and even if you end up being asymptomatic there's a week of dread that kind of accompanies that right that accompanies that experience and it's not just your experience as the person who's sick or ill or at least shedding virus it's also the experience of anyone who cares about you in the hockey world Right. Like up to the point of a reporter who you sometimes text with right? <laughs> being like, hey, man, like just making sure you're still OK. Right. Um, that anxiety has, has been such a big part of what this club has endured over the past two weeks, especially from the perspective of families and the fact that families have gotten sick, pregnant wives, as as Tanner Pearson put it uh, the other day. Uh, just just horrendous. Like j really just this is a, a, a catastrophe and there's no other way to put it. 
Yeah, I, you know, I, I look back at the start of the season and you know, training camp was relatively short and no preseason, and then they went right into it. And we know that a guy like Travis Hamanick didn't get a training camp. He had to quarantine right. when he signed, and he struggled right off the bat. Now, he had been out basically a year because he opted out of the bubble. Why? Because he was hurt before the season yeah. was paused. But I, I still think, like, there's no training camp here. They're going to get one practice. If they're lucky, they get a practice on Thursday. As we record this, we don't know who's going to be available uh, to attend. I don't know, you know, how like how can you push these guys at a practice? Like, what will the practice look like? Like, there's so many questions, but it's essentially a three-week layoff. And then you're facing McDavid and Dreisaitl Friday, Matthews and Marner on Saturday. And we've seen, like, look at the Philadelphia Flyers. The Flyers are in a free fall right now. And I think you can, I mean, there are a number of reasons they can't get a save. Uh, but you track it back and it came off the rails for them when their season was halted by COVID and not anywhere close to this level of play. And I think on the last pod, you looked at the Montreal Canadiens and, and, and an example there where their season was halted. Two guys were in the protocol. They had to miss a week of games. I know they beat the Leafs the other night, but they were scuffling along as well. So uh, again, it's the safety above all else. And I just don't know how the league is taking the safety of the players into account by making them do what they're making them do here. Yeah, no, you're right. And you know, the acquiescence of the NHLPA still boggles my mind, but, you know, that's where we're at. Like, the Canucks are going to try and get 56 in. I think it's going to be barbaric. I think there's a real risk that the club is at a level that makes a mockery of the competitive integrity of this season and of the NHL's decision to get them on the ice this quickly. Um, you know, I think this could get really ugly, and I think it's really important that we approach that with a level of, you know, understanding and compassion at the outset, right? Like this team is going to likely lose a lot of games and it could be really ugly and they could have non-NHL players in the lineup and they could be without some of their best. And, you know, that shouldn't be said to reflect on the coach or the GM or the team itself, right? Like that reflects on the circumstances they're enduring. They're cruel and unusual in my view. And I think that's going to be apparent when we see some of these score lines, especially early on. And especially toward the end of stretches like a 9 and 14, right? Like, I think at the outset, we have to keep our expectations for, for this team. Like, if they're at all competitive, that's a huge win for the league, frankly. Um, and I don't think they're going to hit that bar. Like, I just don't think they're going to be ready for that. Um, just based on, the, on some absences that I expect, based on, you know, what they've been through based on the fact that some of them are still sick. And and again, I think Tanner Pearson had a really clear eyed assessment of this, right? Like coming from a veteran NHL player, he's like, yeah, that would be really hard to do as a fully healthy team. And we don't know exactly what we're going to look like. Right. And I think that was an absolute, you know, on the mark, like the most accurate thing, the most accurate shot from Tanner Pearson in a while. <laughs> like it was just, it was just like, like, uh, like Tanner Pearson from 160 feet shooting in an empty net, right? Like that's his specialty. The long, long distance marksman. Yeah. Nailed that one. Um, bullseye. So, you know, I, I think this is going to be fascinating and horrible in terms of the hockey itself. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg. This is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Uh, I just want to go back to trade deadline and wrap up a, a couple of things. As uh, Adam Gaudet left town, I thought uh, he crafted a... Uh, a nice little message for the fans here. And we know that uh, he's put social media to good use during his time in the National Hockey League. But I thought it was a, a nice note as he turns the page and moves on to Chicago where he's going to wear number 11, which I thought was interesting. I'm not big on numbers, but so much was made of him going from 88 to 96 and 96 with the ties to Bray. And it's kind of one of those, you know, I don't know if it's a look at me number necessarily, but it's uh, a bit Yeah, it's a vanity of, number. Okay. It's for sure fair a vanity enough, number. Okay. No question. All right. So yeah. 11 is far more mainstream. It just fit in. And, you know, I, I think for him, hopefully he can do that in Chicago. Just get in there, fit in. And it's going to be interesting to see how they utilize him. I, I thought it was funny when Jeremy Colleton was asked about him after the trade and he said he's big. And he's not big. Like, so that that no, just, that jumped out at me. Like, is he is he tall? He's over six feet. I mean, he... By NHL standards, I, I'd say he's sort of middle of the road. But this idea that he's big, Adam it was the slightest player listed on the Canucks roster at 170 pounds. He may have added a little bit of weight, but we know that putting on weight was an issue for him. Um, so anyway, I just thought that was funny. That, that was the first reaction of his new head coach was that they're getting this big centerman. He's not a big centerman at all. And I think we all know that. And there's a question whether he's a centerman at the National Hockey League level. So I, I'll be really curious how the Blackhawks use Adam Gaudet here moving forward. Yeah, me too. Well, I mean, you've got to give him a chance with skill players straight up, right? Like that's the that's the thing that I think had come to a head for Gaudet in Vancouver. Um, you know, I think that when you look at who he's played with, right, over the past couple of years, I mean, what, what his most frequent skilled line mate have been Jake Vertanen. Right. And like Jake Vertanen's skilled as a scorer, but I don't know that he's like, you know, a skilled East West player. Right. Like that's sort of not his game. And other than that, it's like a lot of Roussel, a lot of McKinnon or a lot of McKinnon. He, that would be a skilled <laughs> player. A lot of McEwen, um, you know, a lot of Brandon Sutter this year. Right. Like moving moving to the wing and playing with Brandon Sutter. I mean, we've talked a lot about Brandon Sutter's tunnel vision as a playmaker. Right. Like that's not like. If you're going to try a guy out on the wing, a guy whose best attribute is his shot, and you're giving him Brandon Sutter, are you putting him in a position to succeed, right? Like, here's his most common forward line mates in Vancouver. Antoine Roussel, Jake Vertanen, Brandon Sutter, Josh Levo, you know, then Tanner Pearson, Mark Marcus Granlund, and, hmm. you know, he's played 120 minutes with Brock Besser. So that would be, you know, I think you could probably argue that in terms of playing with bona fide top six forwards, you know, of, of the guy like McEwen, Erickson, and Mott Besser f flesh out the list of guys he spent at least a hundred minutes uh, with at five on five. I'd say you have one top six quality winger in that group, right? Uh, not exactly an easy bit for, for a guy to develop, right? Like we talk a lot about putting guys in a position to succeed, right? And, and Hoagland, or sorry, Godet was in terms of, playing light competition, right? He was protected from tough defensive matchups, but he hasn't exactly been given a lot of skill to play with, right? Uh, indisputably, clearly, I think the Canucks recognized it internally to some extent. 
Um, I certainly think that was a factor um, in Gaudette's sort of increasing unease with his ice time and role in, in, in with the club. So, you know, I think uh, I think the Sakaris formulation was the one that I that matched what I'd heard, right? You know, there's sort of competing narratives in this market right now with Ian McIntyre saying unequivocally no, the COVID thing didn't have an impact on the Gaudette trade. Um, I think it did, personally. I think it did. Well, my sense of it is, my sense of it is, is that if, if, you know, someone in the type of standing as like a Bo Horvat had been the index case, they maybe could have weathered that, you know, people still would have grumbled. But, but Godet had sort of already, um, you know, not worn out as welcome. I don't want to go that strong, but there, there'd been tension there already based on ice time, role, uh, types of players that he'd been playing with. You know, the, the term that I'd heard used internally anyway was distraction. Um, and so I think, I think when the COVID thing happened, you know, it switched. It's like they'd switched from looking at Godet as a guy they maybe would deal to shake it up a little bit earlier in the season to, a guy who they had to move at this deadline, like who wasn't coming back to finish the season with the club. And once you do that, you end up having to take the best offer you get as opposed to holding or being a little more, bit more flexible with an asset. And that brings you to, you know, Matthew Highmore, right? Like the best you could get no picks, just Matthew Highmore. And, you know, clearly that's the lowest that Godhead's value has been in three years, right? Like probably, yeah. Uh, based yeah. on based on his prospect stock, his Hobie Baker Award winner, like there have been times where you could have monetized Godhead for something pretty significant, um, and instead, you know, you you nail this fifth round pick five years ago. Guy comes full cycle, plays a season for you, plays a really good season for you, and then ends up getting swapped for something that's probably of lesser value than the fifth round pick that you used for him. You know what I mean? And it's like, this is a really important sort of thing to keep in mind that the draft's not everything, right? Like, you can actually land a player who's way better than the fifth round pick that you use to select him and still get lesser value of him, out of him, out of the pick, all told, than that, right? Because of how you manage it and when you time it, um, personal human factors that come into play as they did with Gaudet. But I think I think Sakaris's straw that broke the camel's back formulation for the for the COVID thing is the right one. Like, I think that is where this fell apart. Um, and I do think it changed the Canucks' motivation. Like, I think it went from a, we're going to deal this guy at some point to a, we have to deal this guy at the deadline. And I do think that influenced the return that they got. So, you know, it's um, it's an unfortunate end to a, to a story that had a lot of promise in Vancouver. But I, I think for a variety of reasons, we become aware, like you said, that that when he got scratched 10 games in the playoffs, that was the beginning of the end on the last podcast. I think that's right, right? Yeah. I also yep. think the fact that they always used him as, you know, a fourth liner in terms of actual deployment. I think the fact that, you know, Bo Horvat's not a really good penalty killer, so you need a third line center who can do some of that defensive heavy lifting. Like, I think that always made this an awkward fit. And so we'll see how, we'll see how Godet does in Chicago. We'll see who he plays with. You know, I, I think there's definitely some talent there. They're obviously without Jonathan Taves. They need additional sort of offense in that sent at that center position. I think they'll probably play him as a center, which which is clearly for me where he should play, and uh, and it'll be interesting to see how he fares. Uh, I think he's, and I've said it before on this podcast. Like I believe in Godet. I believe in the work rate. I believe in the you know character all around. But I think it had become clear that you know he wasn't the uh, the an ideal fit in Vancouver. 
And I think that was for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, I, I, my sense of it anyway is that while the organization would have loved to have returned more for him, I, I don't think that's a deal that even if Godet pans out in Chicago, they'll be sort of looking back on and second guessing. Did you happen to be on Madison Bowie's Zoom call on Tuesday? I wasn't. No, no, I wasn't. I, I you know, um, I, I like Madison Bowie as as a person. I've heard he's a good guy, but I hadn't. Uh, I didn't join that Zoom. No. Okay, N- nothing big here. Uh, I mean, remarkably confident guy uh, who's going to be 26 next week, which I think is a little bit of a red flag now on his fourth organization, but really excited to get back to BC, played his junior in Kelowna. I just couldn't get over. I could not get over as he rattled off his connections in the Canucks locker room. Now, you were with Florida, you saw guys come and go, and, and it, look, the hockey community, the hockey circle is a pretty small one. But as he sat there on the Zoom yesterday and rattled off all the guys that he's connected to on the Vancouver Canucks, like, I, I, outside of Patrick Marlowe going back into the San Jose Sharks locker room and thinking that things looked awfully familiar, like this was crazy. He, so he broke into the NHL with Washington, right? Like that, that Capitals team that was going to win a cup. So that's a tough spot for a young defenseman to break into the NHL. It's understandable why it didn't necessarily happen for him with the Caps, but he's played with Braden Holtby, Jay Beagle. He said he knew Nate Schmidt from training camps uh, before he actually made his NHL debut. Travis Boyd was on the Capitals as well. And so was Tyler Grayovac. The, the what Grayovac basically was in the farm, on the farm team most of the year, uh, with Bowie, right. but, but they both played for the Washington Capitals. He mentioned that he skates with Tyler Myers in Kelowna in the offseason. They're both former Kelowna Rockets. Right. Cole Lind overlapped with Bowie briefly at the end of Bowie's time as a Kelowna Rocket. He played the World Juniors with Jake Vertanen and Mm -hmm. obviously comes from Chicago with Matthew Highmore. Like, how often does a guy already know, like, 10 guys in the locker room on a team he gets traded to? Well, and he's got the same agent as Tyler Mott and the same agent as Jordy Ben. (laughs) <laughs> Vancouver based player agent Rich Evans right the Canucks yeah. couldn't ice a blue line without at least one Rich Evans client um so they uh, swapped out Ben for Bowie or Bowie excuse me um yeah yeah it's that's wild eh he's uh he's like six degrees of separation totally, yes. like he's he's Canucks Kevin Bacon <laughs> the Canucks will hope that's in the Guardians of the Galaxy context right like that he's the hero the footloose context of the hero of the, he'll teach the Canucks to dance, basically. Now, and correct me if I'm wrong here, like Highmore will go directly on the active roster after his quarantine. Bowie's on the taxi squad as things sit right now. Uh, do you anticipate him being a taxi squad guy or does it come down to how many healthy bodies? Because uh, neither one of them is going to be available this weekend, is my understanding, with quarantine laws coming from the U.S. and, and having to, to serve yeah. out their quarantine. So so they're not going to be around and ready to go this weekend. Because I've seen some talk out there that, you know, plug them in and play them right away, but they're not going to be options for these games this weekend. No. Well, the fact that he's below the line is is a benefit, right? Because if the Canucks end up needing him to come up when he's lapsed his seven-day quarantine as a you know, COVID exemption, he's under 1 million in salary. He's got that two-way contract. I'm sure that's a tr- appealing to the Canucks, right? Pay a prorated 200K salary as opposed to a prorated 750K salary. 
um, you know, if he's an injury exception or a COVID exemption, like there are scenarios where he could play 10 games for the Canucks without ever really being above the line in term, you know, formally anyway, right? Whether it's injury exception or COVID exemption that brings him up. So, you know, the fact that he was below the line gave them flexibility. And, uh, and I think that was part of why they were willing to do the deal is, you know, he, he just enhanced their options in a ton of really subtle ways, both in terms of expansion and in terms of roster management for the season. But yeah, I mean, you know, the, in terms of hockey impact, I'd sort of look at him as like an upgrade on Jalen Chatfield, right? Like that's sort of the way to look at, at, at Bowie is, you know, we've sort of seen, we've, I mean, we haven't seen a lot of Jalen Chatfield lately, but I think the club's singing of Chatfield's praises didn't match the reality once he got into the lineup, right? And, you know, I think this is an affordable depth player. He's got 156 games of NHL experience on his ledger. You know, he's had some issues, but he's got some tools. If they can help him sort of figure out the defensive side a little bit, maybe he can, you know, punch above his weight um, later in his career, at least be a credible 8-9 defenseman. And that's sort of what they're looking at. Uh, The cap number was right. The expansion side of it was right. And I think the fact that he was below the line, too, was convenient, but not decisive in their their decision to acquire him. Have you... I mean, it's been impossible to miss, but have you seen what Jonah Gadjevich is doing down in Utica? Yes. Okay, wait, hold on for a sec, because I want to ask you about Jonah Gadjevich's ceiling uh, for Jonah Gadjevich. I mean, this is incredible. He's uh, 11 goals in 12 games down in Utica. He's got 13 points in the 12 games that uh, the Comets have played their season, broken up by a month uh, due to COVID as well. So it hasn't been a whole lot of fun down on the farm. This is a guy that had 13 goals in 38 games last season. It's not easy to score at the American Hockey League level, especially when you're playing with you know a mishmash of a lineup. They are combined with St. Louis and, and the situation that they've got in Utica this year. Uh, whatever the case, like Jonah Gadjevich has found his scoring touch, clearly not much of a setup guy, but somebody has got to score the goals and there's some finish there for a player, Tom, that quite frankly, I, I wondered if his NHL dreams had passed him by. There were injury concerns. There were some concerns about, uh, his foot speed and his ability to keep up, but he's clearly getting to areas of the ice that are allowing this guy to score some goals. Jonah Gadjevich, if he can figure out the foot speed issue, uh, could, could be an NHL bottom six forward, I think. I think what's happening right now is that the AHL is a very odd league, right? Like you've totally. got it's yeah. the AHL minus every AHL team's best goaltender, right? And six of the AHL team or five of the AHL team's best skaters, right? Like, and a lot of those guys are your Sautners and your Brisebois, are your 24-year-old, 24 to 27-year-old veteran defender Right, who would be in the AHL in a normal season, but isn't at the moment. It's like a it's like a U twenty five league, which is great for player development. Right, awesome, like a unique player development environment. But I do think we have to have additional context in what guys are doing. Gadjevich right now is just going to the net front and completely overpowering, like sub AHL quality defenses and and potting goals. Right, and and that's awesome. It's way better that he's doing that than not doing that. But we can't look at it the way we would in a normal AHL season if a guy was doing this in mid-November and it was like, call him up, let's see what he can do. This is a little bit different and needs to be regarded in that context. I don't think the organization is sort of changing their mind rapidly on Jonah Gadjevich 
frankly. And, you know, we'll, we'll sort of see where this goes, but good to see him produce, obviously, better than the alternative. Um, if he can add a first step and, and sort of materially change his skating stride in terms of being, you know, an NHL, at least an average NHL level skater, I think he's got a shot and maybe even a shot to be really good because I think he's got that sort of, you know, um, mindset to pay the price, to be good on the wall, to chase hits. It's just that you got to be able to, you got to be able to get there in the NHL. I don't know. I haven't seen enough of him to know that he can't for sure, but I've seen enough of him to know that he hasn't been able to yet based on what we've seen in uh, various training camps and, and on and on. So, um, look, be very interesting to track and interesting to track this offseason. Crucial offseason for him coming up because if he can work on that skating stride, if he can get it to a certain level, then he's got everything else. But, you know, I don't know that the organization holds out a ton of hope for him, frankly. And I'd be curious to see if he's the sort of guy that they may be shop in the event that another organization believes he can get there. Uh, that's sort of where I think he's regarded internally, even in spite of what he's done. And, and I'm with you. Like, good for him, even if it is taking advantage of the circumstances with better players on NHL taxi squads. The, the fact that we're talking about him positively, though, is a step in the right direction because I don't know that we've ever totally. uttered, we've never uttered his name uh, on this podcast. And so, uh, good for him. <laughs> no, I, no, you're right. Yeah, I mean, he's just you know, he you're was right. He was taking no, that same uh, year. It was, Pe- it was Pedersen. It was Lind. And they went for offense with those first two picks. And then I think they rolled the dice on this big, strong, you know, power forward that uh, had that element and some grit to his game. And and early on, it was more injuries than anything that seemed to hold him back. And and then I just, I wasn't sure uh, if he had been passed by others in the in the stable. Whatever the case, good for him. He's he's having a nice run and a, a good season. So we'll monitor that. But, but I've seen the howls on social media already. You know, call him up, call up Rathbone. Do you think there's any chance that we see Rathbone over the rest of this season or with quarantines and just the compressed schedule? Is it best to let him play out this first pro year uh, down in Utica? I'm curious. I'm really curious to see what they do. But I think if you were going to see him, why wouldn't you have already called him up, right? Like you could have called him up last week and had him be ready. That to me suggests, no, he won't be necessarily coming up. So... Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't I don't think so. I don't think we're likely to see fellow 2017 <laughs> draft class member um, Jack Rathbone up uh, this year. That, that's just my sense of it. But, you know, we'll, I mean, there's an awful lot sort of remaining to be seen there. Uh, a lot of runway left. And we'll, we'll also see where the team ends up in terms of who's able to play and what they need. Right. So. You know, I'm not I'm not writing it off. This is the most uncertain hockey season ever. I think if you're definitively saying much of anything, you're you're off your rocker. <laughs> unless unless it's that the Leafs are the best team in the North, that's the one undeniable fact. Um, <laughs> the uh, the Rathbone thing, you know, I don't expect it at this point. I think if you were calling a guy up from Utica, you would have done it ten days ago, so that they were ready to go and be an option. Um, you know, for for your return to action. Clearly, the Canucks have not done so. They, in fact, they haven't called up anybody, which also is another like crucial data point. Like, you know, whatever you think of this management team, they have an indication, enough of an indication that they're going to have a full lineup uh, ready to go on Friday that they didn't call guys up four days ago, five days ago. So, 
you know, I think that's a pretty crucial data point that the protocol is not going to get in this club's way of icing a full roster. Now, the difference between icing a full roster and a competitive roster, um, that, that's still a <laughs> crucial distinction. And, uh, and you know, it's one of the reasons that I'm not super optimistic uh, about what we're going to see from, from this club when they do hit the ice against the Oilers and the Leafs, um, you know, er, in the early part of this weekend. Well, if nothing else, uh, a chance to take roll call on Thursday, uh, if in fact they go ahead with the plans of having a practice, that one practice before they get back into game action with the Oilers on Friday and the Leafs on Saturday. It's been a long time since any of us uh, has been around the rink because uh, shut, shut the doors. Uh, certainly the media wasn't welcome, but uh, it was supposed to happen today. Sounds now like it'll happen tomorrow. So we'll see what Thursday brings for the Vancouver Canucks and get a better sense of uh, who's available and in what formations and those types of things and getting back into the swing of actually covering the hockey club regardless of uh, what it looks like once the puck drops and they they play these games. A couple of other items of business here before we run. Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun recap the trade deadline on two-man advantage. Uh, that's the Athletic Hockey Show and it's available at the Athletic website so you may want to check that out, the Athletic app as well. We always say check out our comments section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app and rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple and if you're not already a subscriber, man, you are missing out. Go to theathletic.com slash VanCast and receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month. So we'll be back to do one more episode uh, this week. We'll do it on Friday. Uh, it'll be game day, but uh, by then we'll have uh, the benefit of some hindsight and Thursday's practice and whatever else comes our way. So uh, working our way to the return of hockey, whatever it looks like, Tom, but back to the rink tomorrow to cover a practice. Yeah, and and it's going to be a weird one. Like, it's going to be a really weird one. I'll be there early. I'll have my binoculars, and it'll be fascinating to see who's on the ice and who's not, right? Um, you know, I, I expect there's going to be a lot to parse. And hey, we're going to have a Canucks practice with surely more than one media member in attendance, as this story <laughs> has become a big one. Um, it's going to be a very, very fascinating um you know, look into what this Canucks team looks like at the tail end of two miserable, miserable weeks for the club. And, you know, I, I'm expecting anyway that at least they have a critical mass of players and and show us something like a lineup that, you know, could play uh, on Friday. But, you know, just just compassion, moderate expectations. This is not a normal hockey season and what the Canucks are being asked to do is not within the realm of normalcy. Did you see Jeremy Colleton, by the way? While we were recording this podcast, Jeremy Colleton addressed Adam Gaudette and when he might make his Blackhawks debut, and he said this. He said that Gaudette will need time to get back in game shape after not being on the ice for some time as part of the Canucks' group that contracted COVID. So Gaudette goes to another NHL team, and their assessment is, this guy's going to need some time to get up to speed. Wow. <laughs> Meanwhile, the NHL's assessment of the Canucks' fitness is back-to-backs Friday, Saturday, boys. <laughs> Best of luck to you. Um, doesn't that speak volumes, right? About the, you know, like tragicomic exercise we're about to w witness uh, in the Vancouver market at the moment. Uh, you know, fans should be mad here. I, I honestly believe that. I, I'm, I'm sort of appalled personally, and uh, and we'll see what it looks like. 25 minutes of Louie as he single-handedly takes down the Edmonton Oilers on Friday night. Can you stand it? 
Uh, who knows? <laughs> well, <laughs> no, you're not. You're, you're not ready for that. Hey, twenty-five Louis. minutes of Louis. No, you're right. I'm not ready for that. <laughs> well. Uh, get, get ready for a bunch of things you may not be ready for. Uh, we'll cover practice. We'll see what it all looks like. And we'll be back uh, on Friday with our third and final episode this week of the VanCast here at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com. <laughs>